the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, Prince Harry has out a new documentary about mental health, a big change at Wheaton College, and then we're joined by Joe Carter, editor for the Gospel Coalition. You are listening to The Common Good. Hey everybody, welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. It is a Wednesday. I don't know if it's a good Wednesday. About it's a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. It's the middle of the week. Hump day. Yep. Here we go. It is Here good go. to be together on this Wednesday. We are glad that you are joining us. Uh, we are self-proclaimed uh, fans of like following all things kind of gossipy, People Magazine, yeah, kind of like pop culture, weekly, right, that kind of stuff. Right. But under that umbrella falls the British royal the family. The royal family. <laughs> I wish I had on a royal family t-shirt today. I didn't know we were going to talk about that. Do you that, have one? No, but I feel like I would have bought one for this. For a segment yes, of the so show. I, I may have to get on that pretty okay. quickly. Yeah. I like that you're just going to buy t-shirts depending on everything <laughs> that we might be able to talk <laughs> That's about. That's right. I'm going to cover it all. So, you, you know... I, Across the spectrum of uh, news outlets, you're reading a lot these days about the royal family. I would assume that more so the things that you and I read, uh, (laughs) these places exist. And I want to talk for a second about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Okay. Because I'm conflicted about I know. We, I think we have differing opinions on this. I am conflicted right now. Let's talk about your confliction. Okay. Two reasons. One main reason. One, uh, so... Prince Harry marries uh, Meghan Markle. Uh, We learn in the Oprah interview that they are under an immense amount of stress, that she is feeling suicidal. There's there's just way too big of a spotlight. He's having flashbacks to what happened to his mom. They go through this really painful uh, public separation from the royal family. They move to America. Okay, so ostensibly under the umbrella of we need some privacy. Yeah, we need to get away from the glare. Yeah. I can't turn my TV on without seeing one of them talking to Oprah That's or to Gail point. King or fair to yeah. uh, or to somebody else. And so there's my there's my problem with them right now. Yeah, Here, he did a Dak. Uh, what's the guy's name? He was on a big podcast. Dak Shepard's yeah. podcast. Yeah, he was on a big podcast. So armchair expert. Yeah. So here's my first thing: if you wanted privacy, go have privacy. Fair. It feels yeah, like fair. instead you left the royal family to come to America to kind of spread your wings and make a ton of like money become and become famous. a celebrity. Yeah, yeah. Even there's though some you were to already that. you were yeah. like royal family celebrity, but now you're this. Uh, but yeah. you came over here to be like movie star celebrity. Yeah, so I yeah. have a I, I, every time I see them, I got to be honest. And I'll ask you if you ever feel this way about them. Whenever I say either of them now. I like am like kind of against them. I'm going. Oh, interesting. I am, I am pro William over there across the pond. <laughs> You're like ruined for the big brother who's staying faithful. Because I want to say, hey, Harry, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt, yeah. but like, then just stop. Yeah, just stop. Go get a job. You got a couple jobs now, but get a job. Yeah, raise your family. Yeah, you where got- does Prince Harry get a job? 
if he's, he's not a celebrity. Right now. What are his jobs? He it, well, we're about to well, talk I'm about saying if it's not them. on TV, what are his jobs? I've got a feeling Prince Harry can get can get a pretty well paying job. Anywhere. Yes, anywhere yes. that's probably true. So that's my one thing. And I, I okay. it makes me very um uh, cynical about Meghan Markle's role okay, in this. Okay, okay, interesting. Uh, you know, and I start to feel bad for the royal family. Like, Harry keeps lighting them up. You would, thought when he went over for the funeral the other day, maybe there'd be some mending. I know, you did want Seems that. Seems to be not yeah, yeah. On the other hand, okay. Prince Harry's doing really good work around mental health right I now. I mean, this. I'm so excited about this new show, The Me You Can't See. I watched the first That's episode, right. and I was, I was powerful. I was very emotional watching it. All right, so we've got a trailer from it. Okay. I want you to hear because it really is powerful, and it's what I want to get into about the state of mental health. Okay. But first, after this, I want to ask you for your feeling on Prince Harry and Meghan Markle right now. But let's listen to what Harry is doing right now. This is the me you can't see. All over the world, people are in some kind of mental, psychological, emotional pain. What words have you heard around mental health? Crazy? Lost it. Can't keep it together. With that stigma of being labeled the other... The telling of the story, being able to say, this is what happened to me, is crucial. See, I write stories, I write them on my own. Only I can read them, but the doctor calls it self-harm. So can somebody tell me it's okay not to be okay and do not tell me quietly because mental health matters and that's the reality. To make that decision to receive help is not a sign of weakness. In today's world, more than ever, it is a sign of strength. People that acknowledge their mental health struggles, they're really like superheroes. In front of us is a human being who's suffering. Treating people with dignity is the first act. The results of this year will be felt for decades. For kids, families, husbands, wives, everybody. We're going to hurt. We're going to hurt together. All right, you, the purveyor of all things royal family, (laughs) you love the royal family. I do. Uh, Where are you landed on this? Okay, so I think your point is a fair and valid point. So I do not disagree with you. That said, <laughs> I disagree. With I disagree you. with you. <laughs> I am so pro Harry and Meghan Markle. Here's my thought. Okay? okay, and I know I can be wrong in this, but here's my thought. He comes to America to uh, ostensibly get away from his family, protect his wife, but now he's in control of his story. Now he's in control of the media he's a part of. Now he's producing. Now he's directing. Now he's making the choices. Rather than having paparazzi like dictating things for him or his the royal family saying what he can and can't say, what his wife can and can't do. And in America, the tabloids are not as abusive to her as they were over there. I mean, some of the headlines over there were horrifying. <laughs> and so I, that's where I see that this can work sure. is that now he's in the driver's seat. She's in the driver's seat. They're doing what they want to do, but um, they're making the choice about it. So that's, I, I, and I'm for them. I, but I do, I'm with you. I want, I love the queen. 
And I also do like William and Kate. (laughs) I just think, and then I want to close by asking you a different question. It just feels like, just own why you're doing this, right? Like, Yeah, I hear that. I I do hear that. It's hard to reconcile. I need more space. I don't want the glare. Let me have a third sit down with Oprah. Let me have a fourth sit down with Oprah. I think now they've become friends and neighbors. So now it's just like, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Mental health, though. Let's let's end on the more serious thing. That trailer is powerful. Yes. The idea that mental health is now out there to be talked about, especially coming out of COVID. So it's it's fun to talk about the royal family, but this is a really important project yeah. and something also that we constantly say the church needs to keep doing right. well and or do better. Right. That's actually, I, I tweeted about the first episode and I haven't watched beyond that yet, but I felt, I feel like every pastor needs to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, every Christian really needs to watch it if only to sort of open your eyes if you aren't aware of the reality of mental illness and to soften your heart. Yeah. And I think to give you, like, as a pastor, like, okay, how can we do better at wrapping our, our arms around the mental health community? It was uh, pretty eye-opening for me, very emotional. I mean, you've mm. got Lady Gaga um, talking about some of her, like, cutting when she was younger and even into adulthood. You've wow. got um, a prof- not a professional boxer, an amateur boxer who's an Olympic boxer, talking about and showing some of her OCD behaviors. That was very hard to watch. Um, and just some really powerful stories that I think will give you empathy and compassion. That's yep. why I think it's so important. Yeah, I actually think it's a great project. You watch that trailer and you're like, I want to watch that. That mm-hmm. seems important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still would prefer to see Harry and Meghan less on my television fair, every fair, day or less. Fair. I think also I have a browser that when I open it, I, you can tell they've decided <laughs> clicks on them is what's going to drive everything. So right. every day. Well, and obviously every it's day. it's uh, the algorithms for you. So they're like, oh, Brian Fromm, that he is, loves the royal family. That is not untrue. <laughs> <laughs> I've, and uh, as we close this out, I literally have had friends and family get me subscriptions to People Magazine or give me a couple of People Magazines because <laughs> they know awesome. that I enjoy I it. it. So I own it. I just own it. Yep. I will own it. Well, coming up next, uh, someone who's been on the show. Editor for the Gospel Coalition, Joe Carter. We were going to have him on to talk about a lot of things. He recently wrote an article about UFOs at the Gospel Coalition. Also wrote a book called The Life and Faith Field Guide for Parents. We're going to talk about that as we move into graduation season. Excited to have Joe Carter with us next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined by the editor for the Gospel Coalition. He also serves as a pastor at McLean Bible Church in Arlington, Virginia. That's Joe Carter. Joe, thanks for coming on today. How are you doing? Great, thanks for having me on today. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. Hey, before we jump into a, a ton of articles you've written, books, you're very prolific, my friend, and we're excited to talk to you about all the stuff you've written. Before we do that, why don't you um, introduce yourself for people in our audience who haven't heard you before? Yeah, I'm a uh, writer and editor for the Gospel Coalition. Been with them for almost uh, nine years now, and uh, I'm also a full-time pastor at McLean Bible Church in Arlington, Virginia. I work for uh, one of our Arlington locations. Been in Virginia for almost 15 years, and um, been great. Awesome. That's great. Well, we're so glad to have you today. Okay, Joe, we have more serious things to talk about, but I had to ask you, you wrote an article just last week uh, called The FAQs, What Are People Saying About UFOs? And UFO sightings have been in the news a lot lately. I'm just dying to hear your take on this. And then I think the bigger question is something you actually write about. Can Christians believe in aliens? Let's talk about that for a minute. 
Uh, can Christians believe in aliens? I, I would say yes, they can, because there's nothing in the Bible that says they can't. Uh, we believe in other existence of other life forms, such as angels. Yep. Uh, and I think we, we kind of assume that if aliens existed, God would want us to know about it. Not necessarily mm-hmm. the case. There's, uh, uh, there's questions that are raised, of course, like if, if you know, uh, our sin affects all of creation, would it affect other alien races? Um, I think we see that books like uh, C.S. Lewis wrote the Space uh, his space Trilogy and mm-hmm. kind of addresses that kind of issue. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think we've got to be careful to say that, uh, it, you know, Christians should or should not believe certain things that aren't really addressed in Scripture. Mm. That's good. Uh, Joe, uh, jo, you also wrote an article uh, a couple weeks ago called When We Don't Delight in Reading Scripture. Aubrey and I are both pastors, and this is kind of things we talk to, um, you know, not only do we feel at times, but also with our parishioners. I know you get this, I'm sure, at your church. Uh, this kind of, you know, in this season of my life, I'm just eating up Scripture. I'm loving it. And then there's other seasons where you're like, oh, this feels like I, 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 there's all, all the things I want to do. This is difficult. Uh, before asking what we should do when we don't delight in reading Scripture, do you have any thoughts about how we get to that point? Why are there seasons where we don't delight in reading Scripture? I think uh, the first thing is we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. I think too often we think that uh, we go to the Bible just to find Jesus, mm. and instead of looking for Jesus, and then that's our reason for wanting to, to read the Bible and learn more about him. Mm. Um, I, I think sometimes we... we we treat Jesus like a historical figure, like we're going to find him in pages um, of, a, of a book rather than in interaction with our life, the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. So I think uh, um, we start from there, and then we're drawn in to learn more about Jesus from, from his word. Yeah, that's really good. For folks who may be listening, and, I, and maybe they don't have a Bible plan, or maybe they're trying to figure out, what is the best way for me to read the Bible, engage in the word of God? Do you have any tips for them? Yeah, I think the, the one of the problems is we, we tend to take a like one size fits all approach. Mm. And everybody has different uh, people have different needs about uh, different um, ways they can approach the Bible. Uh, some people think that well, it doesn't really count if I'm listening to an audio Bible. Mm-hmm. Most, you know, most Christians throughout the history didn't have an actual Bible. <laughs> That's a good point. somebody else talking. So uh, find what fits best for you and try to um, just make it work. If you're not a good reader, listen to the audio Bible. If you're uh, if you're it's scripture engagement is just—it's not just talking about your quiet time in the center of the bone. You can still with, read with friends, uh, talk about the Bible with other people. Engagement with the Bible is really important. Not just you know whether you're following along a Bible plan that's you know going to take you through a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. You would find a way to to make the Bible incorporate into your life in a way that's organic. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me personalize it a little bit. Uh, what do you do? So, so what do you do each day? And what does your kind of Bible reading rhythm look like? And and how would you answer the question for people like, why do you read the Bible? What do you love about the Bible? Uh, well, I love about the Bible is the fact that it, God sent us a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like if, they, if you wrote us notes and said, "Hey, uh, most important, you know, the, the creator of the universe has communication directly to me." Now, it's not uh, just a letter just to me. It's it's for me. It's not necessarily to me. So I have to kind of uh, learn the different uh, things about the Bible to really get the message across. But, um, yeah, that's, that's why I love it. And that's why, uh, especially being a pastor, I, I feel like I never know the Bible enough. <laughs> so I'm really trying to kind of make up for that. And so I'm reading the Bible a lot more than I've ever had in my, my life. I'm, mm. I'm going through a plan right now where I'm trying to read through the Old Testament twice this year. I mean, it's, I'm sorry, uh, the Old Testament uh, four times this year. Wow. And... In the New Testament, eight times. Wow! Yeah, so, um, 
Uh, one of the problems, I think, too often, we really want to get bogged down in trying to, like, how do I apply this particular passage? And I'm really going back and trying to, like, let me get the whole scope of the Bible in my mm. head. Let me really understand the whole story. Uh, and then when I do go to Bible study, it makes a lot more sense. It really makes, you know, it, see how the parts fit together. Yeah. Um, too often, especially when we do a, you know, a year, just read through the book in a year of Bible study, we get through Leviticus and maybe um, <laughs> February <laughs> by December. We could, we have no understanding of what the temple is, or why it matters. Good yeah. point. Yeah. And, you know, so it's uh, so I think that for me, reading more of the Bible uh, has really been a big help for understanding how it fits in my life. Mm, I love that. That's really good. Okay, I want to transition topics a little bit and talk about Roe v. Wade. You wrote something last week that said the Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case that might be the death knell of Roe v. Wade. We've talked about that a little bit on the show here on The Common Good. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, the uh, uh, Supreme Court has finally taken up a case that's um, it's called Dobbs versus Jackson, the Women's Health Organization. It's just say, uh, the Dobbs case is, is basically about what when the state can say uh, what they can, what kind of laws they can put in place before viability. And now viability mm-hmm. is when the yeah. the fetus is, is can live outside the womb. And in this case, it's the reason it's so important is because if they say that laws can affect the laws can restrict abortion before viability, then Roe v. Wade doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they overturn it because it'll be kind of uh, the states can kind of put laws in place that kind of make Roe v. Wade move that there'll be no reason to. To worry about it anymore, so hmm. it's a really interesting case that to be hearing in October. And for the topic of abortion as a whole, Joe, we talk again on this show often about it. But um, what would your response be to somebody in the church who says, "Ah, we talk way too much about abortion. Is it really that big of an issue, or is is it really the the number one issue? Why do we spend so much time focusing on abortion? We've heard that on our show before when we've talked often about it. What? How do you respond to people, maybe in your church or at the Gospel Coalition, who ask that question? I think there's a couple of different ways we could approach that. And one is the uh, God cares about human beings, mm-hmm. and so we should too. Yeah. Um, the fact that if, if any other group of people were being slaughtered at the rate the unborn is, we would all, of course, recognize it as an important issue. Yes. Um, and, and so I think it's uh, every every generation and every uh, people have to deal with a certain issue that stands out as more important in, in their history, in their time. And I think for us, that's it's obvious that abortion is that, that kind of issue because nothing else matters if you can't be born. I mean, you can't <laughs> share the gospel with somebody who was never born. You mm, can't, uh, so. Yeah. Um, so it's just an absolutely essential issue that we should care care about. Absolutely, and as we've been talking about, a very important Supreme Court case coming. Everybody should keep their eyes on that. Joe Carter is the editor for the Gospel Coalition. Uh, go to thegospelcoalition.org, and you can read all sorts of the articles that Joe has put out there. Uh, back in 2019, you wrote a book called The Life and Faith Field Guide for Parents. Help your kids learn practical life skills, develop essential faith habits, and embrace a biblical worldview. Uh, I, I guess I'd love to start, Joe, just by asking, why did you write that in the first place? Because I know we hear a lot, and, and Aubrey and I both have kids of an age where we're kind of wrestling with that. Uh, why exactly did you write this as a tool for parents? Well, one of the things I recognized when I was a parent is that there's always kind of things we get a, we're supposed to do, like teach our kids to read the Bible, do all this stuff. And the problem is, I didn't know how to do that myself. Mm. <laughs> right. I'm like, am I going to teach this to my kid when I haven't learned it myself? And so I thought, well, what's a way to kind of give 
parents a crash course in these topics in a way that they can um, take take that small bit and, and teach their kids in a, in a way that will be effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we can't be really effective at teaching if we don't know ourselves. That's right. Yeah, that's really good. You know, speaking of that, Joe, what are maybe just a couple handholds from the book that you could offer to parents who are listening right now if they want to help teach their kids to engage with the Bible? Uh, I would say, of course, uh, make sure you're reading the Bible yourself. Mm. Uh, too often, I think parents think they can teach their kids to read the Bible without actually knowing the Bible themselves. Mm. Uh, but I would say read it with them. Yeah, I would sit down and, and talk to them directly about the stories, or you know, whatever age. If you're, you know, you're reading the uh, the children's story book, Bible, or whatever, and just talk to them about it instead of just reading it and express kind of being a data dump and saying, "Here's here's the information you need." Talk to them about it. What what stands out? Do kind of like an inductive Bible study with your kids in a way that uh, you would in a small group. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Uh, Joe, what would you say to a parent out there who's just feeling such immense pressure, right? Like we read all the studies about the next generation and them not taking on the faith. And, and, and we all long for this for our kids. Uh, I've got a daughter who's about to go to college in another year and some junior high kids and uh, as well. And, and a lot of us as parents just feel such immense pressure. Uh, so to that parent out there who feels that pressure, just what's a word of hope uh, and maybe some wisdom that you could give to that parent? Well, I would say there's, there's two things I would say. I would say it depends on when your kid is. If your kid's about to go out the door, maybe the message to be a little bit different is just trust God, trust God's going to handle the situation. And maybe if, even if they're falling away from the faith, that God can bring them back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say to the, the parents of younger children that if there's only one thing you could do is get your kids to read the Bible regularly. Uh, research has shown that the biggest factor predicting the spiritual health of young adults is whether they read the Bible regularly as children. Wow. So, just make that a habit. Make sure that they're reading the Bible when they're young, and uh, you know they'll keep it. They'll keep the habits going when they're when they're older. Yeah, that's so good. Um, Joe, I'm I'm just thinking of parents too. You know, like Brian said, we're both parents. We both have kids in public school, and I think increasingly, I'm hearing from my parent friends that they're worried about the culture's impact on our Christian kids. And I guess I would just love to hear your advice for those parents who maybe feel afraid or maybe don't know what to do to help their kids discern and navigate, you know, the culture's pressure versus uh, theological goodness. Like, how do you help kids discern that and walk that line? Yeah, I think the, yeah, the, the key thing is to make sure that's happening in the home. Too mm-hmm. often I think parents think, well, kids will pick this up in the church, and, and they don't because they don't go to church as much as they're in the home or, or school. So uh, make sure you're making a priority to, to Pass on your values in the home. And also, don't assume that your kids are picking up everything in school. Like, um, we, we kind of think that if a teacher says it, our kids are going to believe it. <laughs> yeah. uh, most kids most kids are very skeptical, and, and they know that um, they're being fed some propaganda. Uh, mm-hmm. So just talk to them about that. And, and find out what specifically your fear is for your children. Yeah. I mean, not everybody's the same. Some it's the sexual issues, some will be you know different issues. Find out what it is about your children. Do you think there's a threat that they could be uh, all party to? That's good. And Joe, as I said, I'm sure at the Gospel Coalition, you've seen all of these surveys and these research coming out uh, about millennials and, and, and people of the generation behind them, uh, you know, not considering themselves born again. Or I read an article today that was about, you know, more millennials believe the horoscopes than they believe that. So it feels like every day there's new research. What do you make of that research? You're a pastor. What do you see going on on the landscape of those quote unquote younger generations? 
Yeah, I think uh, one of the things I think one of the advantages of getting old is you start to see that the same patterns over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the same things we worry for every generation. Uh, I grew up in the 70s when, you know, horoscopes were in every newspaper. I mean, it was, it was a huge thing. So, uh, but most people I know didn't grow up uh, still believing in that stuff. Yeah. I think yeah. there's a phase of youth where you, you fall for this nonsense, and then you get older, you kind of outgrow it. So, uh, <laughs> and that's something else. Just, your kids are going to outgrow a lot of the bad stuff they're into. Mm. Uh, just keep them in the faith, keep them in the church, keep talking to them, and just pray that God's going to change their hearts and and. and and that's what that's why maturity is important to me. That's why that's maturity right. comes. We yeah. we're, we're going to grow, and so uh, don't don't lose hope just because there's immaturity in in, in the younger generations. Mm-hmm. That's good. Joe, we talk on this show, especially this season, about commencement speeches and thinking <laughs> of all the graduates right now. I just, you know, do you have any words of wisdom for the class of 2021? What is on your heart for them right now? Mm. Yeah, I guess it kind of. Repeating the same theme over and over again, but just stay in the Bible. Mm. Uh, there's there's no more important book in the world. Um, as Tony Rankey says, there's two genres of, of books. Genre A is the Bible, and genre B is every other book. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most important book you'll ever read, the most important shaping uh, thing you can do is just keep reading the Bible. Yeah. Um, and I, I think too often we, we want something clever, we want something new advice. The old advice is what works best. That's good. That's a good word. Joe, let's end on this. Uh, as we've said, you're also a pastor uh, at McLean Bible Church in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, and so we're coming out of the pandemic. Every state's doing it a little differently, but churches are reopening. You know, masks are kind of coming off, maybe not coming off. It starts to, things are starting to look a little more uh, normal. Uh, how do you think the church can and should look different coming out of this? And I guess I would end with this. Are you hopeful for where the, you know, for where the church is and where the church is heading? I'm, I'm definitely hopeful. I think a lot of people are realizing now that gathering together is important. I think there was, from, you know, for the last 20 years we've talked about virtual church, where the people start going online. I think now that we've actually tested that, we've realized that doesn't work. People don't want that. <laughs> yeah. People want to be around other people, yeah. so. I'm hopeful that people are going to get back to church and just really gather together in a way that honors God and, and unites us together. Absolutely. Right. Again, Joe Carter is editor uh, is an editor for the Gospel Coalition. Go to thegospelcoalition.org. It's a website I visit all the time, and I would encourage you to as well, thegospelcoalition.org. You can read all sorts of things that Joe has written there. Joe's also a pastor at McLean Bible Church in Arlington, Virginia, and the author of The Life and Faith Field Guide for Parents. Help your kids learn practical life skills, develop essential faith habits, and embrace a biblical worldview, uh, especially with all that's going on in our world. If you're a parent, I'd encourage you to go pick that up. Joe, this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much yeah, for joining for us today. thanks for being here, Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. At Christianity Today, they had an article today, Wheaton's new Jim Elliott plaque does more than remove the word savage. Here's the background story. If you have spent any time at Wheaton College, there is a very famous story that you are like ingrained with. I think you jokingly said, yeah, you don't go a week at Wheaton without hearing the yes. story. It's the story of Jim Elliott. Yes. It's the story of Jim Elliott and the other, uh, was it five? I believe it was five missionaries. They were all Wheaton students, or most of them, mm-hmm. they traveled uh, to the, uh, the Warani tribe 
of Indians and and went there right out of college to evangelize. This was an unreached people group, yes, and they that's were right. uh, and they were killed. Right, so that's yeah. the. There's so much more to the story, but that's basically yeah. the story. And and it's it happened on January eighth, nineteen fifty six. So a really long time ago. Jim Elliott's kind of the famous one because we have his diaries, and he said a lot of amazing things. And uh, married to Elizabeth Elliott, who a lot of people have probably heard of as well. Yes. Well, uh, their kids. And grandkids have kind of carried on the mission, and there's been kind of this, uh, their dreams of seeing the gospel flourish among the Rurani people, even though they were immediately killed, right. has kind of happened. Yes, it's amazing. You might have heard Steve Saint mm-hmm. and some of the others who have carried on that mission. Well, Wheaton, where you and I went there to chapel at Edmund Chapel, there was always a plaque honoring these missionaries. Yes. Uh, and it got came kind of under fire for one specific line uh, that they were killed by, quote unquote, savage Indians. Yeah. And so Wheaton said, you know what, we're going to remove the plaque and replace it with some different language and uh, and maybe some more things. And of course, people started calling them woke and calling them this and that. <laughs> But I'm really proud of what the college has done. They put a commission together. And not only did they change the wording here, but also they told the rest of the story in the plaque. Which I think that part's really cool. It's a huge thing. This was uh, this the original plaques from 1957. And so all the the plaque ends with them dying. It's all about their martyrdom. Well, now in the replacement plaque, it also now says... But listen to what's happened now in this tribe and people have come to Christ and there's been, you know, and it tells the rest of the story. And so that's kind of in a nutshell, the story at Christianity Today. Uh, It is interesting. You still see some people's comments and I get social media works this way. They're calling Wheaton to task for, oh, this is just political correctness run amok again. This is just wokeness. Yeah, all the all the terms that people like to throw out there. Uh, But I want to talk about the story. Okay. Because what I'm surprised by is a lot of people in Christendom and even Uh have no idea of this story. You and I, like we said, we heard it all the time. It became like this rolling of your eyes when you were at college. Yeah, you didn't really appreciate what it was. Are we doing another thing about Jim Elliott and Ed McCauley or whatever? Right. Are we doing another Jim Elliott chapel? Are we going to watch another movie? (laughs) Are we doing another? Uh, But this birthed not only a missionary movement, but like we said, kind of uh, an unbelievable work of the Holy Spirit. The gospel movement amongst a tribe, a people. Yeah. Uh, who mur- who killed them? Yes, but also people would have said could never be reached for the gospel. So uh, this story really is amazing and needs to be held up. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I was thinking about how I grew up. I went to a, I didn't, uh, I didn't come to Christ. So I was a little bit older, like middle school age. But then I went to a Christian high school. Mm-hmm. Even in my Christian high school, I never heard this story. Right. And so when I went to Wheaton College, this is the first time I was hearing the names of Jim Elliot and Elizabeth Elliot and. Um, it is an incredible, incredible story. And I know, you know, the, and we talked about wokeness yesterday. I know things are changing that sometimes some of these stories of missionaries um, that we would call martyrs are being sort of reframed like they were oppressors, like they went to colonize or something like that. But I don't think that's true in this situation. Mm-hmm. These guys genuinely sacrificed their lives for the gospel and the fruit is the evidence, right? The fact that the gospel is um, growing and developing amongst this tribe and some of the relationships have lasted and there's been some beautiful things. I think that's the that's the fruit that they weren't there to oppress or colonize. Right. They were literally dying for the name of Jesus. And look at what the Holy Spirit has done. It's a 
powerful example for all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Elizabeth Elliot, the famous book is called Through Gates of Splendor. uh, That kind of tells the story of the martyrdom of these five missionaries. Uh, but but it really is an unbelievable long term story, right? Like a lot of people probably thought uh, these they got they got martyred quickly, like, like it happened right when the plane landed, right? right when yeah. they got there, yeah. So everything about it, when you read the story, you're like, I don't know, that seems like a colossal failure. <laughs> that was a bad idea, like, yeah, right? Like, okay, right. people told them that's very dangerous. They land there and they get like immediately killed, right? And you're like, well, that didn't work. But like we said. People have continued to go and continued. And the plaque actually reads this. Now, the new plaque uh, says their sacrifice was a turning point for the Warani and an inspiration for evangelical missions globally, inviting members of the men's families to live with them. The Warani responded to the gospel and put down their spears. God's redemptive story continues as the gospel is still shared among the Warani to this day. So it gives this idea that uh like it's still happening. Yeah, I love that. Years and yeah. years later and yeah. that okay, even though it was tragic that they lost their lives, there, there's still gospel fruit happening and I think what this does is it encourages our faith, but it also encourages uh missionaries out there who may be going I'm not seeing the fruit of this. I don't know if this is worth it. Right. You have no idea the seeds that are planted now, how they'll bloom into beautiful gospel fruit. Not just around the world, but in your neighborhoods, in your churches. You could be struggling. Uh, They they said this. They're going to dedicate the plaque this fall. And uh, it says, my prayer since starting this has been to tell this story to a new generation Mm. in words that are fresh and that they can hear. This is God's story. And to see how God has used it is really beautiful. I thought it was important to tell that story again, like we said, as Wheaton students. Uh, this is like you, you could tell this story frontwards and backwards. And it right. does sometimes you just assume everybody else knows. But if you don't, I would encourage you to uh, Google Jim Elliott and mm-hmm. Google the story. Uh, and uh, it's Jim Elliott. What's the famous Jim Elliott quote uh, that everybody talks about? Uh, he's no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot, cannot lose. lose. Wow, you have a good Wheaton memory. For Christ wow, down. <laughs> Brian, they got to bring you back to do a graduation speech there over there. <laughs> like Jim Elliott once said. So a powerful, powerful story. Well, we're glad that you are joining us today. Uh, we're going to talk some more about words coming up next. What can we learn about the power of words? How can we honor? Honor one another. We're going to talk about that through a a really good story. We're going to do that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour, how can we honor one another with our words? And then we're talking with Gospel Coalition senior editor and writer Sarah Zylstra about religious freedom and more. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Pulling back the curtain. You're doing the opens now. I'm doing the opens now. Isn't that fun? You feel like a radio professional, don't you? I feel like a star you? all of a sudden. Yep. All of a sudden, like, I, I don't have a microphone. Like, people are I'm moving things over. around. taking over. Right. Take <laughs> it over, Brian. It's now The Common Good with Aubrey Sampson and then, like, little, like, underneath it. And like, this other and, guy. I can't remember his and name. guests. <laughs> <laughs> and others. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Well, we're glad that you're joining us today. So you 
said that you're watching Good Morning America and saw just a touching story. It's every now and then we try to put a smile on people's faces, but this also has to do with the power of words. You know, the book of James tells us that the that it's the tongue, that it's our words that can start a forest fire. We've right. all seen this in right. churches, in families, in online, all sorts of places. The power of words. Like, there's no more false thing that we all learn than sticks and stones may break my Mm. bones, but names will never hurt me. Like, that's just not a true statement. And so there's a great power in words to honor and build up, but also to tear down and injure. Yes. uh, Both within friendships, within just power, you know, structures like in in a business, but also within marriages and within families. And that's kind of the setup. Give us a little bit of a feel for what we're about to listen to Yeah, this is a really sweet story. It was actually on goodmorningamerica.com, but it's a police officer who is retiring. So it's his last day on the job and he is engaged to a dispatch officer. And so um, he makes a final dispatch call to his bride-to-be and they just exchange the sweetest words to each other. So I wanted you to hear it. Fine County Emergency Communication. I want to thank you for your self-dedication, hard work, and support, making sure everybody at the other end of the radio made a home safe at the end of their shift. I'm going to miss hearing your voice on the radio every day, but I'm looking forward to starting a new chapter in life with you, making you Mrs. 170. Dispatch to 170, Officer Air, the Silver Fox. For the last 15 years, you've been my best friend. You might not know this, but you are the one that got me through dispatch training with your kind smile and your encouraging words. Even though you will not be in my ear, you will always be in my heart. As your dispatcher and as your future wife, I get to send you home safe forever. Hold a second. I mean... Even even though you won't be in my ear, you'll you'll always be in my my heart. <laughs> the funny thing is, they're getting married, so like they're gonna live together every day. You're but welcome to talk on the radio to each other still, <laughs> right? Wow, that that was I sweet. Know, that was so sweet. sweet. Yes. I like brought a little tear to my eye. And so, what what's the takeaway? What do we do with that? Let's go. You were like, you know what? This is worth us listening yeah. to. And it's, it's that is sweet. Uh, and and we're thankful to that officer for his service. Yes. And, uh, by the way, I one of my uh, best friends back in New Jersey from my childhood is a police officer, and we were talking the other day. You know, we're like 44 years old. He's the exact same age as me by like a week. Yeah. And he's like three years from full retirement. Isn't that, Kevin has a friend who's a police officer. It's the same thing. It's and unbelievable. I, I think it's really difficult life, like yeah. being a police officer. Yeah. But man, when you get to, <laughs> you get to retire at 45, <laughs> and hey. so then you'll have like full pension and go. he'll have a whole second career that will also, you're just like, all right, that's not a yeah, bad Yeah, but thing. it is hard. I mean, let's acknowledge no, that. No, yeah. He has not yeah. had a good life from, yeah. from, from police academy to now, but now that we now that he's at the end, I'm yeah. kind of like, oh, I'm kind of jealous of you, man. Like pastors don't work the same way. That's not bad. Uh, but okay, you saw this and you were thinking what? Like, okay. Well, here's what I love about the story. I mean, they're about to get married. So clearly they could have exchanged these words in the privacy of their own home. Mm-hmm. But I think there's something really powerful and, of course, really sweet and tender about the fact that they were publicly praising each other using mm-hmm. their platform, which is this radio dispatch. Of course, it got picked up then by Good Good Morning America, (laughs) so the platform got big. But to honor one another, and I, you know, we talk a lot on the show about how much divisive things are online and how much we tear each other down with our words, but wouldn't it be cool if we did the opposite, right? Like we were intentional about publicly affirming our spouses or Mm -hmm. our neighbors or our friends or even people we disagree with. 
um, you know, I think about Proverbs that talks about how sweet words are like honey for the soul, yeah. you know, and and I I don't know. I just think this is a really beautiful example for all of us of the power of our words. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think first, let me take this two directions. First of all, in marriage, uh, I a huge red flag for me is when you are around people who are constantly mocking or ripping their spouse. Yes. Publicly. Publicly. I that agree with that. That is yeah. enormous red flag. Yeah, something and is not okay there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, two, I think there's a broader conversation to be had here about the power of words. We, I talked before we played this, we talked about the book of James a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we live in a culture, whether it be actual words or whether it be, you know, online speech, uh, who's really good at tearing one another down. Really? And, and yeah. oftentimes we tear one another down because it makes us feel better about ourselves right. or whatever else right. it might be. Uh, but Christians can't be that. Yeah. Christ followers cannot. It doesn't mean you don't ever say hard things. Jesus said hard things yep. all the time. Yep. But we don't find Jesus doing is mocking and tearing down yeah. and belittling. Yeah. And uh, we do find him challenging and other things. But uh, really the speech patterns and the the posture of the Christian, the Christ follower, towards other people in the words that we say – it must reflect Jesus. Yeah, that's right. It must be truthful. It must be affirming. Mm-hmm. It must be encouraging. Mm-hmm. It must be honest. It's, mm-hmm. it's all of these mm-hmm. things. Uh, and I'm sad that we're not sure that we do very well at that all the time. I think about, I think it's First Thessalonians 5, which says, encourage one another and build each other up. And mm-hmm. I think that's got to be the measure of, hey, if I'm about to send someone a direct message because I don't like what they're saying, or if I'm about to blast somebody on Twitter publicly because I disagree with them. Is this encouraging them and building them up? Now, we've talked about this before. The other side of this is Mm -hmm. that this can be used uh, to promote silence when accountability needs to happen. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about using our words in an affirming way, especially for your loved ones, Mm -hmm. to honor them, to respect them, and to show them the dignity uh, that they deserve through Jesus. Yeah, and I I can get really sarcastic at times. uh, And and sarcasm is another element of this, that sarcasm... Mm -hmm. you know, it it can be equally as damaging, even though it's said with a laugh and a wink, right? It could be equally as damaging as just uh, flat out just ripping somebody. And, right. And, and I right. think I think we got to be careful. So the word here is uh, affirm your spouse. Yes. Publicly. Publicly. Privately. Yes. Uh, be their teammate. Yes. Uh, affirm your children. But then, as the Christ followers. Uh, we need to uh, be very careful. Book of James, that is... That, oh, that's a convicting one. That is a convicting one Dang. about the tongue, and yep. we need to be careful about this. You and I were both, people could go back and listen, and they could probably hear us just pause. We, you and I both got, got texts from our old, my old we, co-host, Yeah, we Ian paused because Ian Sipkins texted us in <laughs> the middle of the, the show. Middle. Yeah, so we were kind of eyeballing each we're other like, and looking. He, like was just encur- he was just encouraging us. Sure. He was just lifting Speaking us up with sarcasm. his words. <laughs> yeah, really. Speaking of sarcastic things. Nice Ian. to have. Him. Well, coming up next, Sarah Zylstra, friend of the show. Sarah Zylstra, senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition. Also the co-author of a book called Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. Sarah's going to join us as we talk about religious freedom. Has global religious freedom seen its best days? And then we're also going to ask her about this. Should churches pay off medical debt for the poor? We're going to talk about those things and many more things with Sarah Zylstra next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life.
friends. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm, and we are thrilled to be joined again, I think third or fourth time here by senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition. She's a regular now. I love it. A friend of the show. That's also right. Also author of Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. That is Sarah Zylstra. Sarah, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us again. I'm doing great. You guys, thanks for having me. It's so fun to be here. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Hey, I want you, before we jump into some of the articles you've written, uh, I would love for you uh, to introduce yourself to our audience. But then I'm going to ask you to do something else. Off air, you told us you had a little mothering mishap this morning that I think (laughs) all of us can relate to. So I'd love for you to tell that story because people, they're going to go, oh, I've definitely been there. So my name is Sarah Zylstra, and I grew up in the cornfields of Iowa and moved to the Chicago area to go to graduate school. Um, I went to uh, I got my degree at Northwestern, just north of the city, and I live with my husband in a suburb called Homewood, just south of the city. And I've got two kids, and I take them to school in the morning. And this morning, I looked at my weather app and saw that it was going to be rainy in 63, and it sure looked rainy outside, so I had him dress warmly, you know, like it's going to be chilly today, guys. Let's put on the sweatpants and, um, and your t-shirts and your sweatshirts. And we got in the car and as we were dry- walking out to the car, I was like, man, it sure feels warmer than 63 already. How can this be? Looked on my app and I was looking at tomorrow's weather. Well, of course, today is going to be sunny and in the eighties. And so thankfully, God is merciful. And we realized this before I had driven them all the way to school. And so they could just run back inside and change into some shorts and we were on our way. So that is, that's where we're at. That's true mothering right there. there. Yeah, we've (laughs) all been there. I'm thinking too that, I don't know about your kids, but my kids are in a school with no air conditioning. Mm -hmm. So to have sweats on on a really hot day, that is no bueno. So well, I'm glad you were able to uh, remedy that as quickly as possible. Sarah, you wrote an article recently switching topics here that I think is really important for our listeners. Uh, The title is, Has Global Religious Freedom Seen Its Best Days? Can you talk to us about why you wrote that? Yeah. Um, So a couple weeks ago, I guess back in March, um, Secretary of State Tony Blinken made an announcement that human rights are co-equal. He said there's no hierarchy that makes some more important to others. And at the face of it, that sounds like, yes, we would totally agree with that. Like, we don't want someone to be tortured for, you know, for any reason. Um, and so we would agree. But what he was pushing back on and what the, the media picked up on, and so did religious rights advocates, is that under the Trump administration, Mike Pence put together an advisory committee. And they didn't say that religious rights were, um, you know, the first thing that we should focus on. But they did say that they're primary, like, hey, this is in our Constitution, our Bill of Rights right away. Right off the bat, we we guarantee religious freedom, and it's really important to our country. So while we wouldn't ignore other human rights, that's one that we're really going to care about. So it's a it was a pretty strong um, statement or flag waving from the Biden administration that um, they're not going to throw religious rights under the bus, maybe, but certainly they won't be. Um, they're going to be elevating some other rights, um, notably sexuality. LGBTQ concerns around the world, and maybe not focusing or giving quite as much attention as has been given in the past to religious freedom around the world. That's where this article came out of is sort of, um, why do we have these religious rights here anyway? And so we kind of dove into the history of that. 
That's fascinating. And Sarah, I wonder, uh, so people can understand uh, the results of this, maybe what do you foresee or or what will the results of this kind of policy, you, like you said, it's not necessarily a policy change. It's kind of a policy shifting or a, a focus change. Uh, what will be some of the practical results that we might see both maybe in America, but also globally? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, thankfully, about 20 years ago, um, some people worked in Washington, D.C. and wrote the International Religious Freedom Act. So by now, this um, the International Religious Freedom people have an office at the State Department. They report directly to the Secretary of State. They have a staff and they have money. So because this path was paved before us, I don't think we have to worry as much as we might have otherwise. But I do think that it signals um, uh, maybe a less less of a willingness to apply sanctions or less of a willingness to devote diplomatic time and energy to working with other countries um, on their religious rights abuses. So, you know, lots of times we hear about pastors or Christians who are um, imprisoned in other countries, often on trumped up charges, or um, you think about the Uyghur Muslims in China and how we're all scratching our heads over what to do about that, or even Christians in China who are increasingly facing more surveillance and things are, are clamping down on them there, that maybe that won't have um, the time and effort that it maybe would have in the past 20 years um, from Washington, D.C., which, of course, um, doesn't affect my life and yours maybe directly as much, but very much affects the lives of Christians who live in those countries. For um, Christians, like you just said here, that may not be impacted by this as much, but want to think globally and maybe want to advocate for the global church, especially the persecuted church, do you have any just action steps that we can take? Hmm. So I also did a piece on a girl named Corey Porter, who leads um, Christian Solidarity Worldwide, the USA. It's a it's a London based um, religious freedom organization, but they also they're kind of pivoting, recognizing the strength of having the U.S. as an ally. Um, are also going to devote more attention. Um, to their advocacy in Washington, D.C. Um, and so when I talked to her, she said two things that worked really well are number one, just praying, praying like crazy. Obviously, God is stronger than any government, um, either ours or theirs. God is stronger than any terrorist group. God is stronger than anything and knows what's coming and is the wisest and doesn't make mistakes. So to be on our knees for him asking for persecuted, for help for persecuted Christians around the world is, um, is super, super helpful and changes our hearts as well. It's not just um, what that does. He would, works on behalf of those other Christians, but also changes us and gives us more compassion and um, awareness. And then also there's things you can do. If you go to her website, um, you know, there's like letter writing campaigns. I know it doesn't feel like you're doing very much to call your congressman, um, but it does make a difference. And so um, some of those things as well, there are tools out there um, that can help you, you know, it's not, it doesn't take very much time, but um, it does make a difference. So you could do that as well. Yeah. And Sarah, as we think globally uh, about religious freedom and religious persecution, a lot of us here in America don't really even know what's going on globally. Can you kind of paint a picture for uh, what's going on globally for our brothers and sisters in Christ right now? Yeah, that's such a great question. And it's so interesting because we're in such a, a weird time frame, right? We're just coming out of a pandemic here in the United States, but in the rest of the world, they're still very much fighting this. 
um, when I asked Corey about it, she said, you would think that the COVID-19 restrictions would have lessened religious persecution because everybody's kind of hiding in their own house. So how would they know what you were doing in there? Or, you know, aren't we all kind of distracted by handling this crisis? But she said, actually, um, that's not what happened. The number of religious freedom violations stayed steady around the world or even went up in some places. Um, they're, they're worse now, I think, than they ever have been in recorded history, which might be a little deceptive because we're keeping better track now than we ever have in recorded history. Um, but also, yeah, so, it, so it's a little bit hard to compare apples to apples there. But certainly um, four out of five people around the world are living in a country that has some pretty significant religious restrictions on who can worship or where you can worship or is someone going to um, you know, try and bomb your place of worship. Um, so those are all things that have been really that have been going up and been more difficult. Again, that's Sarah Zalstra, a friend of the show, joining us. She's senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition, also co-author of a book called Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. Sarah, another article that you helped be a part of at the Gospel Coalition, again, people can read these at thegospelcoalition.org, uh, back in late April, it was around this fascinating trend going on. It's just titled, Should Churches Pay Off Medical Debt for the Poor?, and there, I would love for you to help people understand the background of this, because as pastors, we see this all the time through these specific organizations where churches are paying off immense amount of medical debt for pennies on the dollar for people in their community. So flesh that out for us. What is it that churches are doing? And then how would you answer that question of whether churches should be doing this? Yeah. How are they doing that? Right. Um, so there is a company that's called RIP Medical Debt, and it was started by two gentlemen who used to be in the debt collection services. So how it works is, um, and I think this happens with all kinds of bills, but specifically we're talking here about hospital bills. Say I have a, I owe the hospital $4,000 for something and I can't pay it. And so I don't pay it. And so after the hospital hounds me for a while and I never send in any money, they would try and sell that to a debt collector. Now, they're going to only be able to sell it to a debt collector for about $40. So you might notice that went from $4,000 to $40 because at least they're getting $40 out of it. So maybe it can cover like the cost of the paper or something. It's something. It's better than zero. And for the debt collector, if he can buy it for $40 and then he can go after you, even if he only gets, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars out of you, then he's making a profit on it as well. So you can kind of see how the system works. So these um, two gentlemen who worked in this in this or um, world um, didn't like the medical debt part of it, and so they started a company called RIP Rest in Peace Medical Debt, in which they would um, partner with charities, which has primarily been a lot of churches. And so now it's the church that's buying that debt for forty dollars, which from four thousand forty is quite small. But then the church does not turn around and go after the person, the church just forgives it. So that then this RIP medical debt company will send a letter to the people that says your debt has been purchased and forgiven, which if you're a Christian, boy, does that sound familiar, right? Like your debt is purchased and forgiven. So it's a beautiful reflection of the gospel. The only thing that a couple that makes you wonder a little bit is that there's really no relationship there. Like because of privacy um, laws, they can't tell you. Um, you don't always know who it is, who, um, who you're paying off the debt for. So you know they're in their area, but you can't have a, a relationship with them, which of course our gospel is also very relational and community oriented. And you would want to say like, hey, we paid off that debt. Can we help you with something else? Or 
can we, would your kids like to come to vacation Bible school or can we like minister to your whole person? So that was where some of the questions were coming from is like, is this, is this the right way to help the poor? Because we know throwing money at the pro- part of a problem is not the, the best way, the gold standard way to do it. So I talked to a couple different people about it. Um, and, and yes, there are some things that aren't our favorite, but overall, um, I talked to someone from the Chalmers Center, I talked to a pastor and I talked to an economist who all said, um, if you have the opportunity and the will to do it, that it, um, it, w- it is a remarkable way to show the love of God to people. So two thumbs up, go ahead. There you go. Yeah, that's great. What a, what an interesting and cool way for the church to serve our neighbors. I love that. Um, Sarah, I want to circle back a little bit, if you don't mind, to the topic of religious freedom, but specifically um, related to your book that you wrote with Colin Hansen, Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age, because I know you wrote a story about religious freedom in that book. So um, would you mind sharing that with us? Sure. So in Gospel Bound, what we did is we tried to take some instructions from Paul, um, love your enemies, care for the weak, um, suffer with joy, and give each of those a chapter with a little bit of instructions of how we do that today, and then pile it up with stories of people doing it. So um, in our chapter, which is called Love Your Enemies, I tell a story about a missionary who is named Gladys Staines. And she was Australian, and she moved with her husband to India. Um, actually, I think they met there um, while they were both missionaries. And so they ran um, a, a medical facility, or they, they cared for lepers while they were there. So um, they, they loved it. They were committed. They had three kids while they were living there, and they were raising these kids. And every year, Graham, who was the dad, would travel. Um, boy, you'd have to drive out a ways to kind of in the middle of nowhere to um, speak about Jesus and in sort of like, I guess what you'd call a Christian conference, like a gathering of Christians. Um, of course, this is a Hindu um, majority nation, but a gathering of a minority of Christians. And they would talk together and pray together and learn about Jesus. And every year they'd do that. Then he started taking his sons with him because that, you know, would be a fun and fun thing for them to do. And they could also uh, meet with other Christians and hear the gospel that was being preached. So one year he did that and they were, oh, I hope they get this right. But I think it was like nine and seven. Nope. 10 and six. Okay. They were, he's got a 10 year old and a six year old boy with him and out they drive to the middle of nowhere. Um, and they, um, while they were out there, they slept in their car because that's what you do. Um, there's no hotels, obviously, in the middle of nowhere in India. So um, there's some buildings where people are sleeping in this tiny village and he's sleeping in his car. And in the middle of the night, Hindu extremists who are so irritated about Christianity and Christian missionaries come out and um, are loud and crazy. They set the car on fire. They slash the tires so that they can't go anywhere. Um, they, When they try and get out, they hit them with sticks and break the glass. Um, they continue until um, the car has been burned. And of course, um, Graham and his sons huddled, they found their bodies huddled together inside of it um, in just the most um, crushing and horrific thing that you can imagine. And so... Um, Gladys has to find out about this. She was at home with her 14 year old daughter. Um, uh, the Christians who were at the conference were too afraid to come out and do anything. Um, I don't know if it would have helped or not. It's hard to know, um, if anybody would stick up for you, if that would help, or if they also would have been killed, but, um, no one came to their aid. Um, so they, so Gladys gets told about this. And the first thing she says, this reminds me so much of the Amish after that school shooting a few years ago, she said, okay, we will forgive. Um, and her daughter 
said the same thing. And even at the funeral already, they were saying like, we, we forgive them. We forgive them. She, um, and she did. I mean, she didn't even follow the the news followings. It took them the Indian government forever to find these guys and then let most of them go. Um, and then commuted. They gave a death sentence to the leader and then commuted it. Um, so it was just life imprisonment. So it was just like a very weak justice, if any at all. Um, but Gladys trusted her justice to God and didn't even really bother to follow it that much. She stayed in India for years and years later. She's retired now and in Australia with her daughter, but she stayed there for years. Um, there is a hospital now named after her husband there. Um, and she worked with those same lepers and those same people in just an amazing show of God's grace. So that is a oh, terrible story and a beautiful one at the same time. Absolutely. You can read that story and others uh, in Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. I'd encourage you all to go pick that book up. Sarah Zylstra wrote it along with Colin Hansen. Again, it's called Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. Sarah, before we let you go, uh, tell us about the Gospel Coalition's 2022 Women's Conference uh, that is coming up. Yes, I'm so, so excited about this. It is called Remember Your Joy. Um, it's a tiny bit different from us because we usually pick up a book of the Bible and work through it, but I think we're going to work through Old Testament stories in this one. Um, so that's going to be the theme. Um, it will be from June 16 to June 18 in Indianapolis, which is drivable from Chicago. So all you need is your hotel room. Um, it is a remarkable day. <laughs> yep. It's a remarkable time of um, being together with other women who truly love the Lord. Um, we'll learn about um, the Old Testament together. And then there will be lots, dozens and dozens and dozens of breakouts that you can go to on all kinds of different topics. Um, for a, a woman who wants to um, deepen her walk with the Lord. I, I truly highly recommend it. Right. So you can find the information at the Gospel Coalition. That's the gospelcoalition.org. Sarah, it's so fun to have you on. We'll do this again. Like we said, a real friend of the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. This is great. And don't forget, it's going to be cooler tomorrow. A little bit of rain. Get those kids ready. <laughs> Get your kids in warm clothes. <laughs> Pull those sweatpants back out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Again, you can find all of Sarah's stuff at thegospelcoalition.org. We're glad that you're joining us today here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. We are in graduation time of year. We're yes. in that season. Yes. And, uh, and one of the things to do, you could really get lost on a YouTube kind of rabbit hole here mm -hmm. by just typing in commencement addresses and yeah. you'll get, it's so fun. I love to it do that. It is really fun. Uh, you'll find like 11 of them from Mr. Rogers and more of the quote Mr. Rogers. That's what awesome. Happens. So you and I, we're going to do this little thing over the next month or so and just every now and then find commencement yeah. addresses and play part of them. And so you found two for today. Why don't you intro the first one yeah. and get us into it? Yeah. So iHeartRadio is actually doing a commencement speech podcast right now. So they have these little really? short commencement speeches for 2021, the class of 2021. It's really fun. You can find that at iHeartRadio.com. But this one is sportscaster, TV personality, Erin Andrews. And she uh, quotes from Vince Lombardi, who my dad quoted a lot growing mm -hmm. up. So that's why this one stuck out, giving her advice for the graduating class of 2021. Here's that. I also love looking at quotes from people I admire in the sports world. The great Vince Lombardi. He has some of the best out there, like this one. The only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. 
That's easy, it's simple, and it's to the point. And if you know anything about Vince Lombardi, you can just hear and see him saying that. I wish I had as good of an accent as he did. I would do it over for you guys. For me, I've never worked this hard for something in my life. Yes, I've had some success in my career, but in order to continue it or be where I want to be, I keep grinding. I keep grinding like it's my first day at ESPN. It's the only way I know how to operate. And it's become an obsession, but a healthy one. Another one from Lombardi, once you learn to quit, it becomes a habit. How clear is that? Of course, there'll be times in your career or your life, you may just want to give up, take the easy way out, not push yourself as hard. Don't even entertain that thought. Don't allow that to become routine or a reality. So she talks about having that fighter mentality and never quitting and never giving up. And you have to like wake up every single day with sort of that, like, I am going to win today. And that's her advice for the class of 2021. What do you think about that, Brian? It's good. Sometimes it can be a little like, you know, when we've talked about how when we were youth pastors and we told everybody you're going to change the world. And sometimes you get to the point of going. I have a hard time just changing my socks. Maybe just like, maybe <laughs> like, just like live your best life in a small way at home. Yeah. Like, love my kids, love my family. But I yeah. get it. And especially you want to inspire that age, that generation. And so got to love a good Vince Lombardi quote. I, too. Mean, I mean, every one of us has gone, every one of us has gone, used the sermon illustration of this is a football, you know, where Vince Lombardi's trying to get every, you ever use that one? Well, he, so I haven't used this as a football, but I have used talking about God's timing. Vince Lombardi would say, if you're not 10 or 15 minutes early, you're late. Vince Lombardi time, which I grew up on. My dad was like, guys, Vince Lombardi time, Vince Lombardi time. That's Vince. awesome. So I've used that to talk about God's timing. No, when you want to get back to the basics of the faith, Vince Lombardi, uh, even after they won the Super Bowl, he would start every training camp. He would make the teams. These are pro athletes, right? He'd make them sit down. He'd get up in front of them and he'd hold a football. He goes, gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> yes, I guess I have heard that where he's like, this is what the basics of what you need this to know is, right here. But that is good. That fighter mentality. Yeah. Go for what you want. Go for it. it life's going to be hard. Uh, but but go for what your dreams are and keep getting up every day and fighting. I think that's really helpful, yeah. especially for a 21, 22-year-old. Yes, that's right. Okay, so the next one, this is, we're kind of swinging the opposite direction here. This is Michelle Williams, who is a singer in Destiny's Child, the all-girl group with the, oh, you Huge are? Fan. Wow, you, could you sing a little Destiny's Child I for can't. us, Brian? Come no, on. I, you might not have, from our earlier segment, you might not have recognized my sarcasm there. Oh, Big I haven't fan. learned about the Brian Fromm sarcasm Destiny's yet. Child, okay. that's, that's Beyonce, right? Yes, but that's Beyonce. Okay. And uh, so Michelle Williams was part of Destiny's Child, and she gives a little speech where really she's just congratulating uh, how well this class has done because of how hard the year has been. So let's listen to her little moment of her speech. So I can imagine, you know, the excitement as a graduating senior, whether it's high school or if you're graduating college and transitioning over to maybe master's or even your doctorates, listen, hats off to you. But I just want to speak to those who I think what's gone on the past year, if anything, you were probably taught how resilient you are. It was probably amplified how brave you are. It was probably also amplified the courage that it took to go ahead and complete your studies. So I'm just simply here just to encourage you to let you know if you've had the courage to stay focused during a pandemic and continue your schooling and to finish, 
I really, truly believe you can do anything, anything. And some people might say, no, Michelle, everybody can't do anything. I don't agree. I believe if there's a certain amount of effort you put into it, not only effort, but there are certain things that you might even have to sacrifice to do anything. That's what it takes to be great. That's what it takes to finish something with excellence. So that's Michelle Williams talking about it takes courage, it takes resilience to finish something, especially finishing something this year of all years. Yeah, for these graduates, uh, they are to be commended. I agree. Because I, I know of students in college who have who have failed this year yeah. because it, it was really hard, yeah. especially it was hard for all students. But think about our kids. They at least had their parents over them. Right. And going like, you got to go. Could you, you and I both graduated from Wheaton. Could you imagine have been in a 20 year old, 21 year old at Wheaton trying to trying to figure out how's everything different? And then you've got to be the one who is uh, disciplined enough to do online learning from your dorm room or something. I'm, I mean, I feel like well when me. I was an undergrad at Wheaton, too, I like. I went to class, but I barely studied. Like, I was, like, just graduate when I was... Now, graduate school has been really different for me. I want all A's. But undergrad, I was like, yeah, if I get C's, get degrees, it's fine. So I don't know if I might... I might have failed. I don't know. It would have been hard. So the class of 2021, we salute you. I was having this conversation with my daughter the other day. She's just finished her junior year of high school, and she was writing a paper. So obviously, it's months ago because she's now done. Yeah. And she was working on a paper and she said, I said, oh, when's it due? And she said, oh, it's due in like two weeks. And I started laughing. And I said, Mads, that'll change. And so <laughs> it will always be like that. Not to that degree. That's just, just her personality. work ahead. But she was like, why? Like, what did you? I said, when I was in college, I would literally start papers that were due at the 8 a.m. at like 2 in the morning. Wow. It's just the rhythm wow. that you had. We were all morons back then. That's why this whole virtual learning thing I would have struggled with. But I do appreciate that she said what you went through this year. You learned a little bit about what it takes to finish something with excellence. Like finish what you started. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always going to be easy. I think that is... Uh, that is a great word. All right, you're you're uh, as we said the other day, you're a best-selling author in the Christian death section yes, of Amazon. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Uh, and you're continuing to write. So your day is coming, radio host, author, all these things. Yep. Where you're going to be giving commencement addresses. What would what if you were giving one this Can't year? What would you? That. I know it would be awesome. Yes. What would you want to impart upon students? Yes, I the the phrase that is going through my mind that I want to impart to. The next generation and to our generation is the value of integrity. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about uh, Psalm 101 where I, th- I think it's a Psalm of David, but he talks about, Lord, let me be the same inside of my home that I as I am outside of my home. Mm-hmm. And I we have seen so many leaders these days across the board uh, we discover that they have a secret life or that they're not the person they're pretending to be or not the person that their public face That's is right. pretending to be. And I think there is no greater call right now for this generation to be people of integrity because the world is longing for that. That's a good word. And then I think the second thing is, and we've talked about this on the show, you got to stay faithful. Run mm-hmm. your race till the end. We are seeing, again, so many Christians fall away, walk either walk away from their faith or walk away from their morality, walk away from the commitments that they have made. And right. it is time to, like a clarion call to all of God's people, run the race 
run the race for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Let's Do not give up. Word. Some college needs I'm, to call I'm ready. you right call now. Call me. I'm ready they to give you a commencement speech. Right now. <laughs> I would cheer that one and be ready to go. Well, hopefully that inspires you a little bit. Uh, if you are a graduate, congratulations. That's it right. Is Congrats to you. a really big deal. Well, we are glad that you joined us today. Join us again tomorrow from 4 until 6. Until then, we hope that you have a great night. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.